Would you pray with me right now? Jesus, tonight I just sense that your spirit is moving among us in a very unique, very sweet way, that you are speaking to our hearts and maybe with some tenderness, maybe with just a, a sense of knowing where we've all come from to this evening, the things that we've wrestled with, the things that we've maybe battled, maybe the voices that we've been hearing, the, the different people in our lives, the different forces in our lives, just wrestling with all of these things. Lord, all of them can be such confusing messages and then it just seems so simple when we stand in your presence and we worship you. When we think about building our lives on the foundation of your love and your love for us and your love poured out for us, Lord, it's just, it's a game changer. And so I pray, Lord, that tonight you would just undo some things that maybe have been done this week. If there's some heartache that's been forming in our own hearts, if there's some calluses that have been starting to form in our own spirits, Lord, if there's, a, if there's an edginess, if there's a, a frustration, if there's an anger, Lord, I pray that by your spirit those things would be undone and that your love would penetrate those places and we would be freed from the bondage of all those things, freed to love you and free to love those around us. Lord, speak to us and move in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So good to see you guys tonight. It's good to be here, isn't it? it really is. It's just so good to be here and so good and so grateful for this time of worship. And, um, you know, these days we're intentionally taking some time to kind of slow things down. Uh, and just make sure that we're pausing before the Lord, that it's not just more noise that we're, that we're participating in, and it's really good. Um, tonight, I want you to open up your Bibles to, uh, to Leviticus um, chapter 9. Uh, and before I begin the message, I just, I just want to mention something really briefly that's going to be happening. Uh, first of all, let me just say, um, I saw one of the slides pop up at the beginning of the service. And a lot of it was stuff that, there was one slide that, in particular that was a bunch of stuff that Alex's team is leading these days. And I just saw this list, list, like thing after thing after thing after thing. There's so much going on right now. There's so many new ministries that are starting, so many opportunities to connect. It's really unreal. In fact, when I looked at that, I thought, how in the world are you guys getting everything done, Alex? I don't know how your team does it. Uh, but I saw that and I was really encouraged. And I just want to encourage you to check some of those things out, especially this month, the month of March and the month of April. There's a lot of new things that are happening. I want to mention one of the new things happening in April. Actually, it's just one thing that's happening in April that I want to just kind of lead into now, like a month early, I guess I'll announce this one. But um, our, our kids ministry and our student ministries are pairing together to offer a workshop or a seminar on biblical sexuality. And, um, and truly, it's a, it's a, it's a, a conversation around sexuality and gender and then faith in our culture today. And um, one of the things that I know that for Sherry and I, we lived in New York City when our girls were little, and we lived in a very different culture than the culture that we live in, in the Northwest. And we started wrestling with a lot of questions. How do we talk to our kids? How do we have conversations with our kids around gender and sexuality in a culture that's shifting constantly? The landscape is always changing. And, uh, and it's very difficult to define biblical sexuality. What does it look like to hold to biblical sexuality in today's day and age? And so uh, those two teams have partnered together. They're bringing a great speaker named Preston Sprinkle in, uh, who's going to be available. He's going to be here for a time of question and response with him and some other resources. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. We'll talk more about that in the months to come. But if you're a parent, um, in fact, Alex, you mind if I, I, Alex just a couple weeks ago asked me a question. He said, all right, 
Already, like, I'm starting to face questions from my kids, and I don't know how to answer some of these questions. And so he came in and just said, what do we do when our kids ask these kinds of questions? And so um, we want to help. I think that's part of discipleship in the church is helping parents answer questions and help their kids navigate really confusing days. You guys with me on this? Um, so that's coming up in April. You can be looking out for details on that. But let's dive into today's message. Uh, if you haven't heard this yet, we're doing a series in the book of Leviticus. If you're new with us, I, I just want to welcome you. My name is Brad, and I am one of the pastors here. And, uh, and if you haven't been with us through the, the course of Leviticus, I want to encourage you to jump online and either watch or listen to the messages that lead up to this one, because all of it sort of builds on each other. And so it'll make a whole lot more sense. But today we come to a really interesting passage with some remarkably relevant application for this specific moment that we find ourselves in right now. And I mean that. I mean this moment. Like even tonight, today I was thinking about how specific this is to where we are. Um, Leviticus chapter 9 um, is, is a really relevant piece of scripture for us. Now, as we dive into this, I'm just going to share with you that I have, a, I have a knack, I have a tendency for being very word specific with people. Um, I, I'm a words guy. Obviously, I, I I talk and write stuff for a living. And so um, because of that, I, I tend to be very annoying and I'll clarify with people when they say something and they don't say it the right way. I try to do it really politely. Like sometimes someone will say a word and I'll say, you know, you said this, but I think what you meant to say was this because this means this and what you said means that. And usually when I do that to somebody and usually it's somebody close to me, I will usually get several eye rolls, right? Like, you know what I'm trying to say, right? You don't need to do this right now. I have a point to make and just listen to my point, right? That's the kind of thing I get. And, and, it, and it, is, it is very annoying. I'm gonna admit this when I do that and I try not to, but it is sincere. So sometimes I feel like annoying is a little more acceptable if it's sincere annoyance, right? So it's sincere. My brain just works with words. And so I just have to clarify around words. When someone says something, I'm like, no, no, that's not what you meant. You got to change it and do this, you know? And so I'm editing, right? But regardless, my, my sincerity gets met with an eye roll and people say, you know what I'm getting at. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, to which I always think this, and I never say this is, well, maybe instead of trying to use the right word, you should just use the right word, right? I just, but you don't say those things out loud, right? You don't tell your friends those things or, or your wife. You don't ever say that to your wife. That's a rule, right? So I find myself mentally policing words all the time. Uh, I do it with just vocabulary. I also do it with theology. Uh, I can't listen to a worship song ever without thinking through the implications of the words and is that theologically accurate and does that actually fit biblical understanding? I'm always doing this with words, right? So uh, my brain is kind of annoying. I will say this at some point. So, so this, these kinds of things, when someone says something that's a theological fallacy or they use incorrect vocabulary, it just gets my brain going. And as a result, I just get stuck on things and I can't get rid of them. So there are things I hear from people and I can't let them go. For instance, there is a particular phrase that I hear church people say. Like, this is a church people only thing. This is Christians only. And it just has driven me bonkers for years. And, and maybe you've been in a conversation where you've heard this. I hope you haven't said it because otherwise you're going to be an offended. Uh, although I think I've proven to you at this point that I'm an equal opportunity offender at this point. I tend to offend everybody. Um, but they're just, you'll hear people describing a powerful moment that took place in their faith and they'll be talking about this thing that was going on and all of a sudden they'll say, and then God showed up. Anyone ever heard someone say that? And then God showed up. Yeah, then God showed up. God showed up and things changed. God, like we prayed and then God, we prayed really hard and then God showed up. I always want to say, well, where was God before that moment? <laughs> was he hiding? Was he like, you know, like on vacation? Was he doing something that we didn't expect him to be doing? Like, was he absent? Like, I, I, 
I always, like, there's this thing inside of me that says, God didn't show up. He was already there. You just woke up, right? That's what really happened. You just woke up. You became increasingly aware of God's presence. That's a better way to say that, isn't it? And then you say that to somebody and they roll their eyes and say, you know what I'm getting at, right? You know what I'm trying to say. God showed up, right? And and here's the deal. I actually do know what they mean. When someone says God showed up, I actually do know what they're talking about. Even though theologically it doesn't make sense to my brain, I struggle with it. I know the experience they're describing, right? It kind of grinds my gears, but I get it. Because sometimes it feels like God just shows up, right? Sometimes it feels like that you're in the middle of a crisis. You're in the middle of some sort of struggle. You don't have the answers to something. You can't resolve something. You're with a group of people. Maybe you're worshiping. Maybe you're praying. Maybe, maybe you're just worried about a job situation. You don't know the outcome. Something is uncertain and you're hopeful that something will take place. And then God moves in that moment and it literally feels like I was alone and kind of by myself and then suddenly God was there. God shows up. And what we're really saying when we say that is this moment, this This moment is special because I'm aware that he's in the room. I'm aware that God is moving. I'm aware that God loves me and that he's in my life. So in Leviticus chapter 9, I'm going to say it. God shows up in Leviticus chapter 9. And he shows us something interesting about how and when he shows up that I think is an important lesson for us. And some, some things get revealed that I think are specific to this time that we're in. And in, in fact, after, after this whole season of a pandemic and isolation and governor's orders and CDC guidelines and starts and stops and opens and closes, I believe that there is a word here for us right now in this moment. I, I believe God has something for us out of the book of Leviticus in chapter 9 for us in this moment right now. I think he has a word for some of your friends and family members and some other people that you're hanging around these days. I think God has something for us in this. So verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 9 says this. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf or a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you. So something different is going to happen in chapter 9 that we have not seen happen in the first eight chapters of Leviticus. We've had a lot of activity in the first eight chapters. We have a lot of sacrifices. We've had a lot of rites, a lot of rituals. But now in verse 4 of chapter 9, it says something that we have not seen up until now. It says that the Lord is going to appear to you. The Lord's going to appear to you. Verse 5, and they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do. The glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses says, I'm telling you to do all these things and we're walking through all these motions and we're following these directions because the glory of God will be around you and God is going to appear to you. God is going to show up and he's gonna make himself known. This is gonna be a day that you will forever be able to tell your friends. Do you remember that one time we all gathered in front of the tent of meeting and God showed up? And one of your friends will be snarky and say something like, did God show up or did you just become increasingly aware of his presence? 
And you'll say, you know what I mean, right? Right? Can you imagine this moment that Moses just says, guys, here's what we need to do. We need to do these things. If we do these things, God's going to show up. God's going to be made known to you. You're going to experience God's glory. You're going to experience God's presence. Imagine him saying that. And then imagine if you missed it. Imagine if that's the day you were like, ah, I don't want to go today. There's a game on, man, there's a really good game on. Or, man, you know, I don't want to go today because we've got some shopping to do and some other things. Like, and, then, and then, then you hear about it, and you're like, hey, how was that thing when you guys all gathered at the tent of meeting, and Moses made all those commandments and did all the things, and, and your friends look at you, and they say, God showed up. Can you imagine? There's something we see here that we see consistent in other places throughout the story of God with humanity, and it's important for us to get this. In fact, there are three things that we see in this text that we're going to see tonight that I think are very important for us right now. Three very critical things that I think we need to understand. The first one is this, that there is something that happens when God's people gather that we can't really explain. There's something that takes place when God's people gather. There's something that happens to us as individuals. There's something that happens with us as a group when we gather that is hard to give words to. Are, are you, you understand what I'm saying right now when I talk about this? You've had moments like this, haven't you? When you participate in a moment, you participate in a gathering, maybe it was even tonight during worship and communion, I don't know, and you experience the, the, the Lord move in your life. And then the next day, maybe you run into somebody who isn't there and they say something to you along the lines of, hey, how was that thing that you went to? What was it? You know, how was church this Sunday? Whatever. And you say, oh, wow, you know, God just moved like there was something happening. And then they ask the question, like, what do you mean by that? When somebody asks you to describe a powerful moment that you have when we gather, do you ever find yourself struggling to find the language? Like, I, don't, I don't know. There's just, there's just, like, I knew God was moving and there were specific things I heard. And you might have a litany of things that you rattle off to them, but there's this deep sense of you know that God was moving and yet it's hard to explain. You will inevitably struggle for words, but you know when you know, right? God was moving. It's interesting. Exodus chapter 19, the people of Israel, they're in the early days of the desert. It really coincides with what we're looking at in Leviticus. And God meets with Moses, reminding him of everything that he's done for the people of Israel. He says, don't forget this history. Don't forget all the stuff I've done in your life. And he's saying, remember, I'm not a God like other gods. Remember, you're not people like other people. You're different. And he gives them instructions. And then we read this in verse 10. It says in Exodus 19, verse 10, that the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in sight of the people. So all the way back in Exodus 19, God says, I'm going to show up. And when you gather, something powerful is going to happen. When you gather, everyone will know that something's going to take place. Exodus 19. If you go to Nehemiah chapter 8, the whole country of, 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 of Israel has fallen apart by the time we get to Nehemiah. Uh, if you think we're in bad shape, read the book of Nehemiah sometime and just look what was happening. Um, this is a nation that was dedicated to, to, to worshiping God, and they literally forgot about the Bible. Like lost it. A whole nation of people. And there's this moment where Josiah the king finds the Bible and it's this crazy thing. And if, again, if, if you thought you were ever in a bad spot, imagine this moment. And so they find the Bible and then check this out. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1 says, And all the people gathered. You see a theme here? 
They all gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. By the way, you think some of my sermons are long, right? In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Skip down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Not, not social status-wise, but literally physically above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You have to picture this moment. These people had wandered. They'd been apart from God's presence and now they bring out the word of God. They haven't heard him speak. They haven't seen his movement. They haven't sat under his word. None of those things have happened. Ezra appears and he has this, this book that we'd heard about but sort of forgot about. And as he opens it and reads, God begins to move and God speaks to them through his word and they listen to it. There's something happening in the gathering. Move to the, to the New Testament. The book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1, says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Do you see a theme forming here? They were all together, the people of God together. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think if I was there, I couldn't grab my iPhone fast enough to get a picture or a video, right? What is going on in this moment? God is showing up. Why? Because his people gathered. You see this trend. The supernatural, inexplicable appearances of God frequently happen when his people are gathering together. Do you see this? You gather, God shows up. You gather, God shows up. God shows up when his people gather. So, so no wonder we get, to, we get to the book of Hebrews, which you can imagine the Jews are just struggling with. What do we do with our faith now that the temple is gone and there's Jesus and all these different things? And the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then listen to verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is looking back at all the histories and even more than what we just highlighted and saying there is something that happens that I can't explain, that you can't explain when God's people get together. But then the writer of Hebrews indicates something else and I think this is, this is timely. He indicates that some people have gotten into the habit of not getting together. Now it used to be it used to be that people would say things like this. Well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, right? In fact, one of my lines I used to say to people is, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car, and just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian. Theologically, I agree with that, right? I agree with that statement. But when somebody says that, I understand what they're saying, but I also know where that leads, and I don't like where it leads. Or maybe people say, well, you know, church is just one more thing in my already busy schedule. If God really loves me, he doesn't care if I'm a part of church. I've, I've heard people say those things, right? People used to say those things. Now we have a whole new reality. 
52 weeks ago, something happened. Do you guys know that? We're in our 52nd week. 365 almost days. This Sunday, I think, will be, well, since the last time we gathered without masks on was 365 days ago, this Sunday. 52 weeks ago was the last time we saw each other smile in a room like this. Without government mandates, without fear of what if, without disagreement about what the right response should be and who's controlling this and what's behind it, without any of the chatter, 52 weeks of a lot of us waking up on Sunday morning and some of us getting dressed up to sit in our living room, some of us watching our PJs, some of us trying to gather when we could, coming into places like this, not seeing things as normal, 52 weeks. You know, psychologists say it takes 21 days to make a habit. So whether we chose it or not, odds are that some of our habits have changed. Our habits have changed. We didn't even choose it. We didn't have some sort of theological reason for doing it. They just changed. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, don't fall into the habit of forsaking this meeting together. Don't do this. Because when God's people get together, there's something that happens in your life and other people's lives that can't be explained. Do you know how many times someone has said to me, this, this, has, been, this has been amazing over the years. I've, I've had so many people come to me and they say, you know, I, was, I wasn't intending on coming today. Or, you know, for the last year, it's, I wasn't planning on watching this week. Whatever it is, right? They'll say, I wasn't planning on coming today. But then I just, I don't know, I just all of a sudden, I got in my car and I came here. And you know what? God spoke specifically the very thing that I needed to hear today. Has anybody ever heard someone say that before? I wasn't planning on being there. But then God spoke. Why, why is that? Because God has said throughout the Bible, when my people gather together, something happens. I will move in their midst. On the other side of this, do you know how many times I've watched people sort of slowly drift away from this gathering of, of the community of faith with all sorts of good reasons, and then they tend, they tend to be the same people later on that when I run into them, they go, you know, God's just not really moving in my life anymore. And I try to be loving and I try to be really sweet, you know, but then there's this part of me that's scratching my head and thinking, well, let's see, God moves when his people gather and you decided not to be in the place where God moves and then you're wondering why you're not experiencing God anymore. It's kind of like simple math for me. In fact, oftentimes, those are the same folks that when I reconnect with them, their lives have been derailed and they're off in the deep end someplace in some other direction and they're kind of trying to straighten things out and they're scratching their heads and they're saying, what do I do? And oftentimes, you know, the first thing I tell people and it sounds like I'm being... Like, like I'm being simplistic, but I'll say, why don't you start coming back to church? Why don't you come just start listening to God's word? Why don't you start worshiping and worshiping him and being in the community of faith? Because throughout God's history, he moves when his people gather together. That's the way he works. There's this correlation, a connection between a person's spiritual vitality and their participation in something like this. I know that might sound religious. I know it might sound legalistic. It's not, okay? I hope you guys know my heart by now. Most of you have known me at least a year. <laughs> it's not legalistic. It's not moralistic. It's supernatural. It's a supernatural reality. It is a spiritual reality. 
Left to our own nature, we are prone to wander away, and God knows when we gather, something happens. So all the way back in Leviticus chapter 9, he says, I'm going to appear to you. And notice that the context is his people gathering. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, and we see this in the next part of the text. Verse 7, Leviticus 9 verse 7, it goes on. It says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So for, for eight chapters, this whole thing has been about bulls and goats and grains and sacrifices and on and on and on. Same thing, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, right? Right? You realize it's all been the same. Like Aaron's listening to this. You're going to bring a bull. You're going to do this. And Aaron's listening. He's like, okay, I get it. A bull, a goat, a ram, blood, fire thing. We'll do this whole thing. The grain, the leaven, right? The whole thing. You have to think that at some point, Aaron probably stops and goes, when, where is this going and when does this end? Right? When, like, imagine being Aaron. I think there's a part of him that is just thinking, Lord, is there ever going to be a part of worshiping you? that involves me going on a hike to a hot springs and just soaking somewhere and worshiping you in nature. You know? I mean, that's kind of, if I'm Aaron, that's what I'm thinking. At some point, can we get to another pattern, another way of doing things? I'm, I'm not sure if you see this as clearly as I do when, when I look at Leviticus, but you start to see that you get this very real sense that if you want to see God, if you want to know God, if you want to draw near to God, you actually need to obey God. That's the story that's being told in Leviticus over and over again. And, I, and again, I know that might sound legalistic or moralistic, but it's not. It's just the reality. There is a relationship between obedience and your awareness of God's presence. I'm just telling you this. This is a spiritual truth. Your obedience results in an increase in your awareness of God's presence. That's the connection. When you and I listen to God and then we act on what he's showing us, we become aware of his presence, of his movement. There's this correlation that exists here. Notice in verse 8, it says, so Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Did Aaron obey? Yep, he did, right? He didn't just wait around and think about it, ask a few friends. What do you think? I mean, we've been doing this whole thing. We've got all these different, can we try something different? This one doesn't, this one doesn't jive with me. I'm, I'm more of a you know, hot springs up in the mountains kind of guy. Aaron doesn't do that, right? Verse 12, then he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. Had he done this before? Yep. And he did it again. Verse 13, they handed the burnt offering to him, piece by piece, the head, the burnt offering. Doesn't matter how tired of it he is, he did it. Verse 14, and he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. He did it, did what he was supposed to do. Verse 15, then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. Again, he did it. Verse 16, he presented the burnt offering and he offered it according to the rule. He did what he was supposed to do. Verse 17, he presented the grain offering and took a handful of it and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Again, he did it. Verse 18, then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. He did it. And I think you get the idea, right? Aaron does. <laughs> Someone's like, yeah, no, I really got the idea. You gotta stop the verse 15, right? But he does it. Aaron does. Do you get this? Aaron does what God has told him to do. It's just that simple. He just does it. So, so being a person of faith, I know we sometimes oversimplify this. We just got to believe these certain things. But it means we also do according to those things that we believe, right? 
We do based on what we've heard from God. Aaron does what he's asked. In fact, let me show you another story. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 15 sometime, there's a guy named Saul. Uh, many of you have been around church, you know who he is. But he gets in a bit of trouble with God. And, and he's insisting that he's obeying God, and yet there's something grievous. There's a, there's a disobedience in his life. He did not do what he was supposed to do. And I won't get into all the details because there's a larger story that I, that, that I want to just show you. He, he does what he's not supposed to do, and then he insists he's okay. Like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Like, listen, I know that, it's like, I know God said this, but I don't think he was serious. I'm just gonna keep plowing forward. So he's offering all these sacrifices, and he's going through all these motions, these outward motions of obedience, when there's this thing that's hanging around him that he didn't, that he, that he didn't do. And he goes through the rituals, right? He dresses up, he looks good, he goes to church, he serves, he gives a little money, Right? But in his life, there is this serious premeditated sin that he's not addressing. We can do this. We can fake it. We can show up. We can pretend to be obedient. But then there's this thing that we're just ignoring. There's this thing that we're just blowing past time and time again. And we're going, no, 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 I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to go. I'm going to do all the things that kind of fit with what I want to do but I don't want to do that thing that God's told me I have to do. So Samuel shows up to confront him, and this is what we read in, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. He says, has the, Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. You can jump through all the hoops and you can do all the sacrifices and play all the games and do all the stuff, but, but obedience and listening to God is what matters. You can go through all the motions. You can sing the songs. You can do all the stuff. But if you're not obeying, God isn't impressed with that stuff. Like you're not, he sees you. And, and, and why does this matter? Because obedience matters. Because the more we listen to God and what he is saying and we do the things he's telling us to do, the more we become aware of his presence, the more he begins to move in our life. And God knows this. If you'll just listen to me and do what I'm asking you to do, you'll experience my presence. Just move with me. Walk with me. Work with me here, right? We will be able to say in more moments of our lives, and then God showed up. I don't know, I didn't want to do this thing, but I knew God was pushing me in this direction, and so I did it. And when I did it, God just showed up and moved, made something happen that I never thought could happen. That's what we begin to experience. The more we listen to him, the more he begins to show up. Uh, the book of 1 John in the New Testament, it's like a theological two-by-four across the forehead if you ever want to read it. Um, in 1 John 2, verse 3, he says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Then you turn the page and he tells us what his commandments are. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment. I like the way this progression happens. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. So what are his commands? To believe in Jesus and to love those in our lives. And then I love what it says in chapter five. There's this progression. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I think we have to rewire some of our thinking because some of us, we hear about obedience and there's this little thing that goes off that's like, oh, I don't like that word. 
in, in our individualistic culture. And I'm not saying, I'm saying this individualistic culture leaks into how we think about church, how we can think about our own spiritual lives. It, it's, it will grind the gears for us when we hear people talk about obedience because we want to be the masters of our own fate because in our culture, it's all about number one because it's all about making myself happy because we get to consume as we want to. As we, want to. we don't like anyone telling us what to do. That's the way we live in our culture, especially when it's not what we want. But John points something out. Some of us hear obedience and what we assume is that God is the ultimate fun sponge. You know what I'm talking about? Like God comes in the room and all the fun just gets sucked out of the room. That's what we think, right? God's a fun sponge. Some of you have never heard that before, have you? Like God's gonna pull the plug on the party, right? He just says, no, no, no more fun, right? That is not the way it's meant to be. And we're missing the point if that's what we see. Jesus' commands are not burdensome. Are you with me on this? That's what John says. He's talking about the commandments. He's talking about loving others and loving Jesus. And then he says, I want you to obey these things, but you need to know when you move into this obedience, this is not a heavy weight that's on your shoulders. This isn't like the obedience you're thinking of. This is a different kind of obedience, right? These things, they're intended that you would know God and you would enjoy him. These are a good thing. That's the idea behind this. I don't know if anybody's ever told you, you know what, you just need to obey because that's what you're supposed to do, right? You just do this because that's the way it's supposed to be done. How about this? How about if we hear Jesus saying, follow these instructions because you'll have a full and satisfying life if you do? That's what he's saying to us. See, there is something that happens when the people of Jesus assemble. And they, there's something that happens when the people of Jesus begin to lean in and go, okay, you're calling me to do this. As hard as that is, as much as it's frustrating me right now to lean into this, and particularly the issue of love, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna love the way you've called me to love, right? There's something that happens when God's people obey. And then the third and final thing, God does not show up when we least expect him. He actually shows up when we live with expectancy. I want you to notice this theme, right? The people gather and they're expecting God. God shows up when we live with expectancy. And just go back to Leviticus chapter 9. You just think about the vibe around the place in this moment when Moses says, listen, here's what we're going to do. And when we do this, God's going to show up. Can you imagine the... I, I mean, sometimes this grieves me that we've sort of forgotten the sort of anticipation and expectation that when we gather and when we obey God and when we expect him to move, he's going to show up. And sometimes we just sort of stroll in like, well, I wonder if God's going to be here today. Can you imagine what this was like? I, I doubt that anybody took a bathroom break. I doubt that anybody went to the concession stand during all of this stuff. They're probably just waiting like, okay, God, creator of the universe is gonna make himself known to us in this moment. At any moment, what is this gonna be like? What's he gonna do? What's gonna happen? I mean, your mind would be racing. It's this deep sense of expectation. Like Isaiah 64, there's this beautiful thing. Isaiah writes and he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake in your presence. I love this language. He's just appealing with God. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. 
He says, God, your people wait for you. And when your people wait for you, when they expect you, you do things they never imagined you doing. Does Isaiah, does Isaiah ever, does he ever in this passage, does he ever say, when your people gather, you might show up? <laughs> when they gather and they wait upon you, you don't fail them. You show up. There's an expectancy that you're going to be filled. There's an expectancy that Jesus is going to do something in your life. There's an expectancy that's the same kind of expectancy that people have in Leviticus chapter 9. The Lord is going to show up. And so my question for you is this tonight. What are you expecting God to do in your life right now? Do you have a holy expectancy for God? This word expecting, it's a word we use when a woman is with child. She's expecting. What does that mean? Well, it means that there's going to be this event. There's going to be something that takes place. And if you've ever been a mom, you know this. Your life will never be the same, right? Expectancy of a moment where everything changes. There's this sense in Leviticus 9 that God is about to do something. And then we get to verse 23. And it says... Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted. And they fell on their faces. The Lord appeared. The Hebrew word for appear has all sorts of different meanings. I bet you could imagine that. It means to see God. It means to look at God. It means to inspect God. It means to view God. It means to regard God. It means to perceive God. In Genesis 2, it means to hear God. In Jeremiah 5, it means to feel and experience God. In Isaiah 44, it means to learn about God. It means to enjoy God. In the book of Joel, it means to be fully aware of God. But all of the words in the world don't matter because they all describe the same thing. God showed up. And they knew it. They knew it. God appeared and they knew it. So the point of Leviticus is not about the, the priest getting dressed up. It's not about the blood. It's not about the sacrifices. It's not about the ritual. The point is the fire. The point is the presence of God because that is what they're longing for. They're expecting this. So, so we come back to this and we ask the question, well, do you, do you want God to show up in your life? Do you want to experience his movement? Do you want to experience his presence? Do you want him to appear to you in every sense of the Hebrew word appear? Do you want that? Has it been a while since he showed up? Well, Leviticus 9 shows us three things. If you gather, if you gather, if you get together, if you listen to what God has spoken to you, if you, if you look at your life, and I'm just going to challenge you with this, if there's some stuff in your life where you go, you know what, I know God spoke on this thing, but I've just been trying to ignore him, go back to that thing. What's the last thing God told you to do? What's the last thing God asked of you? Be obedient to what God's telling you. Lean into his word. Lean into his commands. And then finally, just have this expectancy of saying, God, I'm expecting you to move in this moment. If you gather, if you obey, if you expect, 
what God's word says over and over again is, he's going to show up. Amen? Would you stand with me? I'm going to offer the benediction tonight, so if you would be willing to open your hands, let me offer this to you. May you be men and women who live with a deep sense, a deep desire to gather among God's people. And may you be men and women who, when you hear God's voice nudge you, speak to you, push you in any given direction, may you do what he's asking you to do. And may you live with an expectancy that God is going to show up here in this room, in your life, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. I mean that. Love you guys. Thank you for being here. Thanks for hanging out tonight. Please feel free to talk to some friends. Be among the gathering of believers, and we will see you guys next Thursday. See you later.